Everyone, hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here with Jenny Connor. She's the showrunner of Girls, as well as a producer and a writer and a director and co-creator of Lenny Letter, an all-around awesome person who I've wanted to have on the show for a long time. So I'm very, very excited to meet you and to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for coming on the show. Did I did I uh, describe you correctly? Yeah. I don't know. There's nothing left. Okay. You got well, it all. You're also a mother. I am. I am a mother. You're bi-coastal. I am ish. Less now that, I mean, we wrapped girls, so I still go there a lot for things, but we used to move the family for the summer every summer, and we won't be doing that now. You have a Labradoodle? I have a Labradoodle <laughs> as of November 10th, I think. So how do you feel now that girls for you is done? Um, you know, it's bittersweet, and I think I'm actually, I don't know yet. Um, we just literally last week wrapped completely, like finished the final mix, um, and... I don't know. I mean, I'm friends with um, America Ferrera, and she mm -hmm. said that, like, the time you really feel it is the time you would, like, be going back to work. She said, not when it airs, but, like, when you're supposed to be getting back on the plane to go do your job, and that job no longer exists is when you feel it. So that's what I'm aiming for, feelings at that point. And when will that be? Just so I can mark it on my calendar, yes, um, know what you're going through. It's it would be like we get we start really heading to New York March April okay and the but the premiere is the premiere final premiere party is um, next week so do the decision to end it yes. was that entirely Lena's oh uh, no that was that was Lena and Judd and I and what happened was is we always thought for whatever reason we would end it at season five that was something we always talked about um, with HBO and and. Um, or on, in season four, I think Mike Lombardo called us in, who was the president um, of HBO, and said, <coughs> uh, "Don't you guys think you have like one more year? Like, shouldn't you do six seasons?" And we were like, "Yeah, probably. That would be great." Um, and I think that really helped us knowing that we were aiming for the end. Not everyone gets that luxury, and I think it really helped the writing if i had to guess why people like season five so much i would say that mm -hmm. that it was because we had such a specific thing we were aiming for that it made the writing stronger what was that specific thing you were aiming well, i can't for? tell you it's the end <laughs> oh i see the end the finale end. yes yeah. but just knowing how hannah's story would wrap up kind of gave us a lot of um direction right Right. Um, but you will continue to work with Lena Dunham. Yeah, we have a production company together. We have Lenny together, which is our feminist newsletter. And we now Lenny has a book imprint. And hopefully we're going to have a doc series. And, um, you know, we'll just keep growing like Oprah. <laughs> I was reading an article with you and you described yourself or you said your job was really to be the Mrs. Garrett of girls, which for me is like a 
confluence of my two favorite shows. <laughs> Can you explain? <laughs> um, well, that's something I said, actually, I think like first or second season. Um, it really changed. They were all so young and green when we started that um, I just I felt that part of my job was wrangling not that anyone was difficult because i mean we are so blessed the hardest part of my job was begging them not to get tattoos in between seasons and did they listen no, to you no never <laughs> they all they ch- allison of course listens she's but everyone else just got a million tattoos and haircuts so <laughs> that was like you know but that was the biggest struggle of my job because everyone was so lovely um but but it, you know it was it was a lot of really young women and um, you know, Lena learns. I've said this a million times, but Lena learns like that scene in um from Splash where Daryl Hannah goes to Bloomingdale's and learns English in one day. That's <laughs> Lena. Like she can walk onto the stage and not know where anything is or what anything is because she's only shot a movie in her parents' apartment. And within two days, she has full command of the set and understands everything. It's incredible. Um, what were you like when you were the age of the characters and girls? I mean, I was a lot like that. I was um, entitled and dramatic. And um, I mean, I always had jobs. So that's like a little bit better. Like I've had jobs since I was a teenager. So I feel like I was like doing a little better than them in that way, like in terms of work ethic. But I definitely, um, you know, everything was a crisis, Mm -hmm. that feeling of like, you wake up in the morning and one phone call can set you off for the whole day and send you reeling. Wait, that goes away at a certain point? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it depends who the phone calls from, but yeah. (laughs) Um, And and, uh, so, I mean, I pulled from my life a lot, you know, in the beginning, it was so much Lena's story. And then she ran out of them and became a successful actor, writer, director, and had a lot less stories about losing jobs and things like that. Mm. So we pulled from everyone, all ages. Well, it's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, no, no. Um, you describe your, yourself at that age as entitled and overdramatic. And girls, be- the show became such a cultural force. And then there was this... Um, all this criticism mm-hmm. about it, and I'm wondering what you, how you feel about that. I, backlash is not the right word, or, or do you feel like that is the right word? I don't think it's backlash. Um, I, I mean, like in all honesty, we were all so happy to have sparked a conversation, and so even when it was um, negative, if it was a thoughtful conversation. We felt really lucky to be like just included in the world of cultural things people are talking about. You mm-hmm. know, I'd, I'd take that over a yawn any day. Do you feel, and I won't spend the whole interview asking you <clears throat> to speak f- about Lena. Oh, but, that's fine. Okay. Do you feel like she's misunderstood? Because I've gotten into it with people on Twitter defending her. Um, I mean, sure. I definitely think she's un- misunderstood. Um but she's a really strong person and she is very, very bright. And she knows most of the time when she puts something out there that there will be a reaction. And and when she gets it wrong, she generally apologizes in a considered way, which I think is really rare. Like, I feel like her brand is really live and learn. And 
I don't think that's great for her. I think it's exhausting a lot of the time, but I think it's great that she can make public mistakes and learn from them and talk about them so that other young people in the world can say, well, if Lena Dunham can fuck that up, maybe it's okay that I fucked something up and said the wrong thing. Have there been situations where you've watched her about to step in it and wanted to be like, don't, don't do it. There was, I'm trying, I can't remember what the issue was. There was some tweet storm she went into and it wasn't even like something in politic or something. It was just that she was going crazy on it. And I don't remember what it was. And I took a cab to her house and took her phone away. <laughs> I was like, this is making you insane. And we're taking this away from you right now. Um, but uh, generally if, any one of us can get ahead of it. We do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't always know. Like it's some of them seem obvious to me. <laughs> and then some of them I don't know. And it's the same thing with girls. Like I have the worst radar for um, what's going to cause controversy. Mm-hmm. If there's something that I'm like, oh, watch out people, because this is going to rock your world. No one even notices. And then <laughs> we have a scene that I consider a complicated, nuanced, but consensual sex scene. And People refer to it as a rape scene. And I was like, no, what? <laughs> Which is <laughs> uh, the Sherry Appleby scene. Oh, yeah. In the second season where she's crawling across the floor. And then afterwards, she's like, can we just watch a Toy Story or whatever she says? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's definitely like a not a great sex scene, but it's um, we never thought of it as not consensual. But a lot of people saw it that way. So I'm really bad at predicting. What What's an example of a scene where you were like, look out, world? Oh, I'm trying to think where no one cared. <laughs> um, I feel like that happens constantly. Um, I don't know. I have to think about okay. that one. Well, this actually segues right into um, there's – so I had the the um, opportunity to see the first three episodes of this next season. And the we can, it's the third episode. The third episode, yeah. Um, was so – they're all so good, but that one I just keep thinking about – um, because there it's it's so ambiguous, I would say, morally ambiguous. I think so too. And complicated. And I, I think that one will probably spark a lot of discussion. Um, yes. I I think it will, but then again, as I said, I'm terrible <laughs> at this. But um So yeah, what can you say about I it? I mean what I can say first of all is that I know now that my boyfriend will listen to this podcast because he has like a crazy Google alert for every episode he does. And we he forwards me and Lena. Like he's always getting picked. Richard Shepard is his name. And he did the Patrick Wilson episode. And he did um, the Marnie and Charlie episode. And and um, so he loves to forward me like li- wrap up lists of the year of the best episodes. <laughs> he forwards it to me and Lena just to make sure we know. Um, but so he'll definitely register that you loved that episode so much. Um, that was sort of born out of uh, our experiences with um, powerful men and men um, that we really respect and sort of the complicated nature of power dynamics in those relationships. Can we, can you, instead, um, instead of saying we so that I don't yes. accidentally say anything, what can you tell the listeners about, about what the actual plot of that episode is? Um, the sort of probably most specific I can get is to say that um, Hannah writes something 
on the internet that's critical of a powerful writer, and he invites her to his house to talk about it. Can we say who plays him? Matthew Reese. From The Americans. From The Americans, one of my favorite shows on television. He's dreamier than you can ever imagine. It was like literally a battle to the death, me, Lena, and Richard, like who would get his attention. Like we all were in love with him. He's the most charming, most impressive. He's so, so lovely. talented. I mean, and I don't know Carrie Russell, but I'm obsessed with her and the show and just that they had just had a baby. It's just like all too much cuteness over there. When I lived in Brooklyn, I saw her at my local bodega slash grocery store. Yeah. She's very unassuming in real life. Yeah, I think as you want are. her to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, so yeah, that's sort of the general, the plot of it, although there's so much more to it. Um, did you have more to say about it? No, I mean, that's sort of what it is. And, and so it's an exploration of Hannah's critique and, and his feelings about it. And it's just, um, it's based very much it's just it was our way to talk about like the subtle nuance of power and and powerful men and how often they don't see themselves as powerful in situations with women and um they might not recognize that they um you know are controlling a situation that may not seem on paper like they are controlling it but just the nature of their power helps them control it. And it's just like a meditation on that. And I mean, I'm, you know, I like to say we didn't come down hard on either side. It's, it's very, um, I think it's really nuanced. I think she did an amazing job of, it's really honest. It's really honest. Yeah. But in a way where it's like, <sighs> like, I think you want, I'm, I'm stumbling over words and I'm also hesitant to say too much, but like, it's honest in a way that could make someone cynical. Interesting. Say that in a different way so I understand. Um, you could walk away disappointed in who the people turn out to be. I see. Right. Would you agree? Um, I think absolutely. Absolutely. But I think also you could go in being disappointed, you know, and so – um, it's a complicated thing, fandom in that way. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I mean, with him, actually, that's who I was. Oh, no, I know. But I think fandom, like her fandom, Hannah's fandom for uh, him makes it yes. a very complicated situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I liked the ambiguity of it so much because I think there is this push to make things black or white, to be like, bad men act this way yes and it's always this way and you know women might always be completely without blame and it you know and it's just just real life just it exists in between those poles absolutely and this isn't a story um about rape or anything but it's like it you know one of amy polar uh one of amy schumer's funniest things that she talks about is the gray area and rape and calling them grapes and (laughs) just it's like you know, making, really making lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> and and um, I do think that, you know, that humanity, I mean, regardless of who our president is, but humanity in general is really complicated and people are really complicated. And the more you can show a layered person that you like at one moment, don't like at the next moment, it's more like actual life. Mm-hmm. 
So you grew up in LA. Yeah. Well, Massachusetts and LA. Okay. When did you move out to LA? I think we were, we lived here when I was like little. Like this is what I'm telling, why I was saying I want to be on Twice Removed because I don't know my life, my own life story. Um, We lived here when I was like three or four for a couple of years. And then, and then we came back when I was um, 10 and my little brother was one. Mm-hmm. Who you know, right? Yes, I had him on the show. So I know a bit about your family story. Okay. I know. He, he knows more than me. Everyone <laughs> knows more than me. Well, I know your dad is a famous screenwriter. Yeah. And your mom also was a screenwriter. Yeah. Um, I know and that. television. They both did some TV. Right. But your dad did big movies. He did big movies, but he was also on The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. He just did um, Roots. Cool. And what was the other? There's another TV show. I, and I wish I hadn't started the sentence because now I can't finish it. There's another TV show I was going to say that was like another big cable show that he did, right? Um, I don't know. What was the show? Oh, yeah. Boardwalk Empire. Yes. Sorry. That's yes, the one. 100%. There we go. Yes. Um, and I know that your mom had a stroke and then was in a coma for six months. Yeah. Is that true? Was that That's what Jeremy then said. That's true. Yeah. I it's a, that area for me is especially blurry in my memory, but yes, she was she was definitely um I don't know if she was in a coma for 6 full months, but she was unconscious for a long time and and um and remains um quadriplegic. Okay. So Jer- Jeremy I think was 7 at the time and he you was were very 16. Little. I was 16, yeah. And he said as complicated as it was for him when all that was happening, it was also like he could go to the vending machines and he could spend the night at friends' houses and there was this weird sort of freedom, but he had said that it was really hard for you. Well, that tells you everything you need to know about Jeremy Connor, who was like probably the sweetest person who ever lived on the planet and that he would say it was easier for me, harder for me as a 16-year-old when he was a little boy and essentially lost his mother for a very long time is just testament to <laughs> what a doll he is he's like literally an angel walking on earth but um um yeah i mean i you know i think it was incredibly hard for everybody and and you know it's been really interesting actually because i never have talked to my mother that much about it like we just sort of move forward and but lena's been like i inter- first of all i interviewed her for lenny letter um because uh, I asked her if she had ever, we decided we were going to talk about abortion, and I asked her if she had ever had one, which is something I never asked her before, and she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I went oh, to wow. Tijuana and had one. <laughs> and um, so we interviewed her for Lenny and did that story, so that was like a big reveal and really interesting talking to her. And um, um, Lena interviewed her for her podcast and I learned a lot from that and um just even she emailed me um after the march and said it must have I said how amazing it was the march in Washington and she said um it must it must have been sense memory for you because I dragged you to so many of those things (laughs) so I mean you know we're it's it's she has like a Especially considering her situation. I think she has a full life for anyone her age. Uh, for a single woman her age, she has an incredibly full life. Very social. She has a writer's group. She <laughs> goes out all the time. She has a big Christmas party every year, even though we're Jews. Um, <laughs> and, you know, she, she has, so for anyone of that age, 
Um, she has a very, very full life and is incredibly active. What do you remember from the time? Well, the craziest thing is that I went back to boarding school. So I had already been in boarding school for one year and, um, mainly because I didn't get along with my parents. Which, and, which school? Um, it was called the Cambridge School of Weston. It's like a very hippie, progressive school. Um, I wound up going also to Sarah Lawrence. Like the, I have consistently gone to schools that like don't give grades. And, stuff. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I went back. That happened in August. And I went back to school in September and would come home for vacations. But that's what I mean, that Jeremy would see it like that is really interesting and so sweet of him because he was the one who – dealt with it every single day. Right. So you did not get along with your parents. Were you a rebellious kid? I think I got along with my dad, but I think he was like kind of checked out a little at that point. Um, yeah, I was, I was like, um, not like a super bad kid, but you know, I got suspended and I, for what smoke pot, um, ditching to go see spinal tap. (laughs) Um, it was always like very tame. I never heard anybody else, but, um, you know, I, I like, I literally ran with an older crowd <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, I, I would get into trouble, but that's not, I went to boarding school. It was my choice. I think I subconsciously knew that my parents, you know, weren't in love anymore. And I think I felt it in the, in the house. With all the getting in trouble, all the get, I say all the getting in trouble. <laughs> Do you feel like you were act, was there some like acting out happening or? I mean, I honestly just think I was like a fast LA kid, (laughs) like truly, like I just, I really did. I hung out with older kids. I tried drugs early. I I mean, I never did that much of anything, but like I was just, I just broke the rules a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeremy also said that it's hard. It was hard growing up and being your younger brother because you really are the coolest and everyone loves you and everything you do is like the the absolute best version of that thing. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, well that's insane. Um, (laughs) and he is nine years younger. So that's like that crazy lens left over from, you know, when I told him it was cool to wear Stussy shirts and he was in a 12 or whatever. But, um, uh, I mean, I mean, anyone who made like my experience of life is, Oh my God, you're Jeremy Connor's sister. He's the sweetest, greatest person I've ever met. And look at his career. He's like, yeah, drunk history, another period. I mean, literally the funniest shows on TV he's doing. Like, I couldn't be more excited and, um, and proud and, and, um, in awe of him. And he just like, he really just did it himself. Like, he, he started in locations. Like, he really, he, you know, I was like a shitty PA and he worked his ass off. And I know that because our producer on Girls is married to the guy who was his boss in locations on uh, <laughs> Todd Soldan's movies. And he always talked about how great Jeremy was. And I was like, no one said that about the 43rd annual Emmy Awards or whatever. I was a PA. <laughs> what, what were you like as a PA? I just like didn't, I, you know, I just like, I, uh, I would like stop and get coffee with a friend on the way to pick something up. I'm not even kidding. I was like 19, such an asshole. Was that in your entitled overdramatic phase? hundred percent. Yes. Yes, absolutely. When did you realize that you wanted to go into showbiz? Um, or like, what was your first career aspiration? I mean, 
It's a really good question. I mean, I always took writing in school, but I didn't necessarily know I was going to write. Um, and um, during school, I got an internship um, that was for um, Amy Robinson and Ann Carey, who's this amazing producer. Um, you know, I was her intern and I loved what she did. And I sort of got to see the like New York producing world, which is a very small community and very connected also with the publishing world because they're always like the development people are always like trying to get the books before they're published and mm -hmm. buy them. And Scott Rudin's very, you know, gets everything. And so it was like kind of a competitive, fun, weird scene. And so um, after school, during school, I worked at a cigar shop called Davidoff of Geneva, fan selling fancy cigars, which was a great retail job as they go. It's such a fancy name, Davidoff of yeah, Geneva. I know, exactly. It and it was like you. the height of the you know, cigar thing. And, um, and then I was working there and I graduated and, um, I started being an assistant, um, for Matthew Spector who worked at, um, uh, Tribeca Productions. And so I worked for him and he was very like a book person. And now I think does the LA review of books. I haven't checked in with him, but I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing now. And he was very sweet and green too. So we kind of just, I just helped him as much as I could. And, and, you know, listened to his phone conversations with other people and like got to know the New York scene at that time. Um, and then he left and I got his, no, I went with him and then for, as his assistant and then came back and got his job. See, I'm really blurry on my own history. <laughs> it's all those drugs. Exactly. <laughs> so Tribeca Productions, does that have anything to do with De Niro? Yeah, that's his company, okay. run by Jane Rosenthal. Right. Um, which I think was very um, formative for me to be able that, – that, like, the first two people I worked for were, like, serious female kick-ass producers. And then what did you go on to do? And then at a certain point, I was friends with John Hamburg, and he said to me, Connor, you just gotta, you just got to quit your job and try writing like just like you're not using your muscle you know I kept saying I'm gonna write and all I would do is like take writers out to lunch and like <laughs> no boo and be like tell me what you do all day <laughs> um so and and he was the one who f first sort of just said just like do it and was that in response to you expressing a desire to be doing something more than you were doing yes okay. um and I honestly and, and I think I was like a really good waitress and a pretty good assistant i was not very good at a development job it takes um yeah what is the skill set required for that I don't know. <laughs> um it's just i mean i think it was good at like responding to material that was good but i was so low level that um i just i mean i honestly like i didn't have at that point the organizational <laughs> skills for it it's like called tracking and you have to keep track of every book that's coming out and every article and TV show and everything. And I was just hopeless at that. So, um, and, uh, and so then I started temping and it was like the world's best time in New York to temp because, um, the internet boom was happening. So mm -hmm. everyone was in that and making like billions of dollars that later we found out was a bubble, but at the time it didn't feel like that. And so I was like, I, I literally remember when the models of the 80s or 90s or whatever were like, I don't get out of bed mm -hmm. for less than $15,000 a day. Well, I had a temp agency and I was like, I don't get out of bed for less than $20 an hour. And it's true. Like I, I was That's making like a $20 good, really an hour. Rate for no, temping. it was incredible. Yeah. And like 
I really didn't have to do much. And because my training was in Hollywood, like when it's a it's an assistant skill set that's much more intense than other places and much more like you give your whole life to it. So I remember I was a very sweet man who looked just like Sidney Pollack was like the vice president of the New York Stock Exchange. And I was his temp for a week. And I planned his trip to Martha's Vineyard. And I remember going in and going like, well, here, you could take this plane or you could take this thing, like giving him a couple of options. And he was like, looked at me in the <laughs> shock. And I was like, I would have been whipped if I didn't, you know, yeah, that's like there that Hollywood level of assistanting is, um, you know, great training to be a parent so <laughs> or a child but um you know th- that's that was sort of like um i that's how i supported myself during that time and and i made a pretty good living at it what were you always um temping as an assistant to someone? yeah usually yeah it was like but some of them would be kind of like i i temped at the new yorker and i actually fucked that up because I just wasn't paying attention when they told me what I was doing. Like, that's how cocky I got. <laughs> because I'm telling you, there was no one in the temp pool who was college educated mm-hmm. because they were all in the internet. Because why wouldn't you be? And so they loved me. And um, so I remember going to the New Yorker and I was like in the advertising area. And I my job was to send out the New Yorker to all of the advertisers. And <laughs> I just didn't do it. And I remember they called and they were like... Um, you didn't do the one thing they asked you to do. And I was like, well, I don't think they were very clear on that. And <laughs> I really like talk about entitled. I really like kind of and kept working because I was the only one left. See, I'm envious of your temp experience because I tempt for a little while in New York. But like what years was this like, for you? Like mid 90s. Okay. So and for me, so it was like eight to 10 years after. Yeah, no, this, that would be terrible. And they, and I had, um, my background is in magazines and journalism and stuff, but, and I was freelance, but I needed to supplement. So I went in and they were super excited about my, the journalism stuff on my resume. They're like, we think you'd be great at this company. I think I can probably say the name PR Newswire. I don't know if they still exist or not. Um, which really was, had, it was not the same at all. So I right. went in and I was in a department. So PR Newswire would send out press releases, like a huge company that sent out press releases. And some law had just happened, gone through saying that if you receive uh, a newsletter that you, and you want to unsubscribe, they have legally have to unsubscribe you. So I was in the department in charge of unsubscribing. Oh my God. <laughs> and in charge of unsubscribing and in charge of like sending a boilerplate like we have received your request for unsubscription but it was really old software and there was like six sad people in this department um and it was led by this guy who had like really suave hair and he did tai chi in central park (laughs) and all the women were in awe of him because he had written the software to remove people and but I like I wasn't in the cult yet, so I just looked at this like I don't want to become one of you. Only w- here's the best part: it was such old, not fast enough software that like only one person could unsubscribe at a time, so you had to take turns. And I just remember sitting there with this other uh, temp, and she had graduated from Princeton, and both of us were like, "There's <laughs> there's enough work for half of a person." Right. But we're both – it was so soul-crushing. It well, was also, awful. I think at the time you were doing it because the thing that was also a, 
advantageous at the time I was doing it is that I think it was before, like now they just hire temps for very long periods of time so they don't have to pay health insurance. Right. I was a true temp. Like someone would go on maternity leave and I would be the assistant to a PR person at Chanel. And like it was so fascinating, you know? And then I remember I actually, they were, the guy who was like, he was like someone's assistant or some low level editor at Random House. And he was like, I'm starting something called at random, which is going to be the Random House website. And I was like, boring. (laughs) Good luck with that. Um, And one of my jobs was to just like put keywords into a file. And um, but now I'm proudly, you know, our imprints at Random House. So and it turns out that that website worked out for him quite well. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it, I really was like spent a year kind of everywhere. How old were you at that time? Um, well, I'm 45. And that was like, uh, I, 90, like 98, I think 98, 99. So if you can do that math, God bless. I mean, if I had enough time, I could. Yeah. But in this state of <laughs> or pregnancy, a yeah, I'm just gonna. That's what I'm telling you. It never comes to <laughs> I know. Actually, no. I can figure this out based on. Okay, I went to hippie schools. I never learned. I want to say you were in your like mid twenties, mid mid to late twenties. Yeah. That yeah. feels about right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like, could have said that. <laughs> well, I, I know you were looking for a number. <laughs> I was, but then I decided to stop because my brain started hurting. Um. Okay. So you tempt for a year. And yeah, then something what? like that. And then I, um, during that time, would go back to L.A. and stay at my mom's house and write with Allie Rushfield, who was my writing partner at the time. And we wrote a spec about two high school girls who kidnap the most popular girl for the weekend and um, torture her. But it was not dark like jaw- Jawbreaker. Um, but it came it was the same time as jawbreaker and and um but it got us an agent and and um and then slowly we started getting paying jobs and so i just um i was with my um then boyfriend who is my baby daddy now and the um ceo of lenny letter and he um was going to business school in chicago so i would commute basically and go spend time there and then and then Right, and we started getting um, like our first job was um, we got a script for George and Martha, the animated kid series on HBO about hippos, <laughs> um, and then I think oh the first job we got actually was the first real writing job we got was a job for Sony, and it was um, based on a photo book. And it was um, called Fast Forward, which was all about teens all over Los Angeles, done by Lauren Greenfield, who was someone who had gone to the same high school we went to, and we were friends with her brother. And um, But that was just random. Um, and uh, so we had to sort of create a story, and we wrote, wound up writing a story about kids on in L.A. on the day of the O.J. chase, um, like sort of our American graffiti <laughs> feeling. Um, and that was the first job we got. And then after that, we started getting other assignments and adaptations and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then after doing that for a couple of years, then we got the job on undeclared, which is where you met Judd Apatow, which is where I met Judd. Um, why did you and your writing partner stop working together? Um, I think we both towards the end, it was like, we both started, um, just, 
wanting to write from a really much more personal place. And our personal lives were really different. Like I was married with two kids. She was single. It was just like our stories weren't overlapping in a way. And um, but like we stayed, you know, like she wrote for um, Parks and Rec and and now she writes for Love. So I see her there. You know, it's all like it 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 worked out as it should. Mm-hmm. How did you – so are you married or – So, okay. So I'm divorced from Ben Cooley, who is my baby daddy and the CEO of Lenny Letter. And I live with Richard Shepard, who is um, a great writer and director, and he will send you a <laughs> link, link to his <laughs> – all his work. Um, and uh, and he works on girls and write, makes movies and things okay. like that. Okay. For some reason, I thought he was the father. Yes. I mean, of course. Like, who would know? <laughs> well, now I know. <laughs> um, do you talk about your divorce? Sure. So what happened? Um, I don't talk about that part of it, actually. <laughs> I, it seemed like I could talk about it, and then I just remembered I have children. I think I'm, I'm a few years away from talking about it publicly. But I will tell you that we stayed in therapy for a year after this is just very good divorce advice, I think, which is we stayed in therapy for a year after we broke up as co-parents. And it was like the worst thing I ever had to do. I would have like cut off a digit not to have to go into that room, but it got us to a very good place. And we are very like equal and supportive co-parents. And the fact that like we can work together every day is I think a miracle. Mm-hmm. And he really like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to throw Ben a bone and give him Lenny letter. Like I just knew he was going to be the right person, that I could trust him to do it. And he, we thought of it as this like a fringe side project. And within six months, it was like this massive thing. And we had inside of a year, he had found us ad partners, which we didn't even know we wanted. And we partnered with Hearst and, you know, have 500,000 readers. Like he, he just like took it to this level we never expected and we're so happy to have that kind of platform like i wrote this thing about um a a director who lena and i were in on location and we ran into a director of another show that was shooting in the same area and um he first showed us a picture of one of his actors who happens to be a friend of ours with next to a dick that he had taken off the monitor. And then he, um, <laughs> and then he tried to convince Lena to have dinner with one of the actors in his show and convince her to show her tits. And honestly, I'm telling you that story in like the nicest possible way you could tell it. And, and um, it was, it was really upsetting and so s- strange and surreal. And, and, that it could happen to us like at our age and our station. So imagine what the women who work on that show. Like how recently was this? It was this summer. Oh, okay. And so I wrote about it and and one of the people at that night, they were very drunk, the people from the other show. We were very sober because we had just gotten there. And um, one of the people who was friends with us who worked on that show said, God, I'm so sorry you had to endure that. And the first thing I said was, don't worry, I have a platform of 500 people. Like I can ex- 500,000 people. I can exercise this, you know, like I can really, and I didn't name names and I didn't, it just was like important to talk about, you know, that, that telling those stories is the only way to stop those stories from happening because mm-hmm. people don't talk about it. And when you don't talk about it, it continues. And 
I mean, I just couldn't believe at that level it was happening. So what was your experience of the Women's March like? Because I wanted to go so bad being this close to labor, I didn't go. Yeah. But looking at all the pictures that people were posting, I kept being, I kept being like, am I making the wrong decision? Because I could just go down to downtown LA, like we could. And then my husband was like, remember your experience when we went to Enchanted Garden, which was at Desconso Gardens? Uh-huh. And I was like, I can't walk this much. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> oh, yeah, He's like, it's like going to be worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the good news and bad news is that you will have many more opportunities to march. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had an incredible experience. It was, um, it was the most optimistic. Were you in DC? I was in DC. We took a bus with Lenny people down. Like we rented a bus. Um, uh, and I actually stayed at Ben's mother's house with Lena and that was like a really healing time because we hadn't spent together time really together since the divorce in a real way. So that was like very special. And then yeah, I mean, we all went to the march at- together and it was so, I, I just felt so optimistic for the first time since the election. I couldn't believe it. And, and I thought as dark as this week has been with everything he's signed, I still feel optimistic and I still feel like we are just going to keep communicating to our senators that they won't get votes if they don't fight. And, and that's the only way we're going to win, I think. And, 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 but I just feel like, you know, Bernie Sanders said, like, he thought he could separate us and he can't. And it was just, it's like really powerful seeing that large a group of I mean it was so large that we couldn't actively march because mm-hmm. people were coming in four directions it was really it was really something yeah I was really I felt very hopeful and inspired and tearful because at this point everything makes me cry you know just know. seeing the pictures around the world yeah it was very very moving and everyone was crying it was great and it does seem that all the opposition is getting to Trump. I think all the Twitter, I think the like Twitter troll stuff gets to Well, him. I mean, it does seem, you know, like he is an impulsive child who, oh, you're going to march, you women are going to march. Okay, I'm going to sign, you know, reinstate the gag order. Like it all seems like a direct response, which is sort of terrifying. <laughs> um, but very terrifying. But, you know, again, all we have to do is reach the people who vote. Mm-hmm. And really try to motivate them, and the only thing that motivates them is the fear of not getting reelected. So, what is um, what's your take on what happened? Like how it how it is that he got elected? Because so many people are pointing so many different fingers. I mean, you know, one of the most interesting things for me, and sort of the steepest lear- learning curve of this election, was um, think. So I thought I woke up on the day. Sorry, I woke up on the day and was very surprised. And mm-hmm. uh, I was having a conversation. My friend Shishi Rose, who's a Black Lives Matter activist and act one of the planners of the march, and every and is incredible. And she she was having these kind of um, like forums where you could come and sit down and talk and talk about actions to take. It was like right in the early days. And she came and did one in L.A. and I said something about we all woke up surprised and she said, and she's a woman of color and she said, um, if you're a person of color in this country, you didn't wake up surprised. And that is a white privilege right there. Like you just did it. And she wasn't trying to humiliate me. She was trying to educate me. And 
So that has been like a big rearrangement in my brain, that mm -hmm. idea. Um, and so not thinking of it so much in terms of, uh, you know, what were the little machinations that happened that made us lose the election? I mean, I think misogyny is a huge part of it. I think it's important to remember we learned we won the popular vote. So one of the scariest things that ha we all felt after the election or a lot of us felt was, oh, my God, the country is not what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, we did win the majority. So, I mean, I don't know. But again, it, that was sort of like that's not quite the answer to your question. But that to no, me but was the most interesting thing yeah. I've learned. And that I think is something everyone needs to like examine. Yeah, because I think it's easy. It was easy to hear his hateful rhetoric and be like, surely most people see this for what it is. Yeah. But then to realize that the, from a different point of view, you know, if you are a person of color, you realize how prevalent and probably attractive that message is. Yeah. And if you're someone who's like, you know, getting shot for no reason on the street you're like yeah of course trump could win who like that's our country right um so just to jump around yeah i uh in in the article i read i believe it was the same one where you described yourself as mrs garrett <laughs> mm -hmm. you said that judd apatow will say this is about uh storytelling what is the real version of this what's the hardest version what's the most painful version then you get to the funny stuff i learned that from him a hundred percent. Can you talk about that a bit? Judd has always been the right from truth guy and everything is better if it comes from an honest place. And he, I mean, that's just something he instilled in me. And so I automatically do it now like, you know, like you train a dog. And, <laughs> um, and he just always pushes us. And I think one way he always pushes us, which people are always surprised to learn, is that he pushes the romance really hard. The most romantic stories we've done have been Judd stories. And, um, you know, I think, I think that, uh, now it's not so much because now it's like he's done 800 projects with women. But at that point, when we first started, people were like, I don't get this match. And I was like, then you haven't paid enough attention to Judd's work because it's like everything is like just a, a truthful, you know, like the more truthful you get, the more painful you get, the funnier you can be mm -hmm. and the further you can go in the joke. Are you talking about like Adam and Hannah? Yeah. Some of it, I mean, but a, a lot. Yes. I mean, like for the, you know, in the second season finale, when he runs across town to rescue her to that incredible score, that's Judd all the way. That is Judd all the way. Like he really has this very romantic side. And I think, Lena and I were a little bit scared of romance seeming corny or mm -hmm. sappy, sappy, sappy yeah. or something. And, and he really taught us there's a way you can get both. Mm -hmm. Is there one character that you identify with most? I mean, I used to say Ray when people ask me because it's <laughs> like kind of the grumpier, older um, person who's like always trying to tell you what to do and how to feel. Um, <laughs> Is that you? Sometimes. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, I'm a Hannah. <laughs> um, something that I love about Lena Dunham is that she, or that loves, I love it, but I, um, I admire it. 
anytime she puts herself on screen in an unflattering way, which is frequently in that show, um, and her willingness to show her not model perfect body. Um, I just like, I can't get enough of all of that. And it's almost easy, I think, as a viewer to be like, well, that's the real her. And then you'll watch like a behind the scenes interview with her where she's like, oh, no, she's like very on top of her shit. And she's an executive. Yeah, she is. She she is was Hannah. A third she, you know, she has so much ambition and so much strength and so much of a work ethic. So that never I think the Hannah part was that was really truthful to her was and she put some of this in tiny furniture too, like kind of um, this narcissism and this like inability to really appreciate parents or friends and things like that. But Lena's nothing like that. I mean, you know, it's funny that all of the nudity has been um, such a like thing that people keep talking about and keep talking about and often in a negative way. And, and it's funny because it's so positive. It's so positive. I mean, I, girl came up to us and told us that she has sex on top now because of our show like what you know so (laughs) proud of that (laughs) what more do you want um um but that's i mean if you see tiny furniture she spends 10 minutes putting on like a full top spanx like she that's the work she's done and even within tiny furniture there's a video that she actually made where she's like bathing in a fountain she's been using her body like that for a long time as her art and um you know, it's like, it's just so refreshing and, and you can't believe how offended some people can get. And I remember we were at the TCAs for like the third year or the fourth year. And some guy said, why do you think you have to show yourself naked? My girlfriend and I wonder why you have to show yourself naked so much. And I was like, seriously, can you Google my answer to this? Cause I've answered it so many times. I think I remember and like, that. it was so, I will, cause I like went into what I named at the moment a rage spiral. <laughs> cause we like went on and someone is asking a question. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't hear you. Cause I'm in a rage spiral because of what that guy said. <laughs> and it wound up like, because there's nothing to write about. People wound up writing. <laughs> it was, I usually am less emotional than that, but like, I was just furious about it. And, um, I just couldn't believe we had to hear it still. Um, and, you know, it's not like it's generally coming from women. And if you don't want to look at her body, turn off your television. What do you make of the reaction that she gets? I mean, over the nudity. I think that it's generally more positive than negative, And that's like just reflected in in, I don't know, like reviews and popularity and awards or what you know stuff that's meaningful to hbo so um and you know when i hear from women who feel so empowered by that mm-hmm. um and then you know the other is just misogyny i mean it takes people you know it's not it, it takes people a long time to get out of this mode of looking at a certain kind of person on television expecting to see that. And I think, you know, people are doing a good job trying to change it now. What's weird is the amount of anger. Yeah. Like, I I can understand being like, oh, I don't... I, I can understand having like a... I don't like need a to 1950s see that. reaction of like, yeah. well, what's the point? Or of just that? like, that's not for me. Yes. But the, the hatred. I know. I don't get that except... It's misogyny. 
Yeah, I, mean, I guess. Really but also, did you hear Lindy West on This American Life? Yeah, when Amazing. she interviewed. She her troll, yeah. yeah, and I think what he, if I remember correctly, he said something to her about when he was hardcore trolling her. He was angry that she was an overweight woman who felt that she deserved to have a voice. Right. And because I think he had battled his weight too, right? Right. I think it's something about like you, like. I I, th- I imagine the hate comes from someone who's like I am living my life within these small within a small box you should be too yeah or you know how dare you be comfortable with yourself um, but I don't know and I it's like I don't want to spend one more minute of my life imagining what trolls think right you know like the Lindy West thing I thought was so brilliant and so great and it just wrapped it up for me I was like mm-hmm. okay we got that. Now let's not give them any more attention. Yeah. Is that easy for you to not pay attention to it, though? It's pretty easy, um, especially at this point. Um, uh, Judd has always counseled us um, to stay away from that. And I get... Does that mean not reading message boards or... Yeah. I mean, I, I again, I said, like, I have great relationships with critics who have said things to us that were critical, but they were thoughtful and mm-hmm. smart. You know, it's like Emily Nussbaum, Willa Paskin, Alan Sepinwall, people who are like thoughtful, smart people. I will have a conversation all day long with you about a show, you know, and choices we've made. Um, but like a random voice on the Internet, never. Don't need it. Don't need it. I'm now just going to gush in an unprofessional fangirl way. But I will say, because I am tempted at times to pay attention to criticism online. And if you have a podcast, you get, you know, there's a constant dialogue. And and that's great. And for the most part, it's good. Yeah. But there are times where it's like, because I'm just a people pleaser by nature. Yeah. And so most women are. I'll be tempted to change something or alter something or make something smaller or not share something. And then... There's just a few. I keep. I don't have any tattoos, but I keep thinking maybe I, sh- I should tattoo like these names on on me somewhere so I remember. Because I think like if Lena Dunham gave into a temptation to make herself small and or to not express herself because she's worried about the reaction, like we wouldn't have girls right. and or Amy Schumer or um South the South Park guys. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's so many people who've made art that really is get a controversial. I guess it. Yeah, yeah, controversial, but gets like a. Get, there's a lot of people who have a real problem with it. Yeah, and if they were trying to avoid that reaction, then we wouldn't have Book of Mormon. That's right, which I loved. It's the best. <laughs> That's yeah, where we found our Andrew Rannells. It's like the most talented person on earth. So, um, yes, and I saw that op- opening night. Lena and I saw that together, and it was literally like being in an audience full of people on drugs, like ecstasy. <laughs> like we were right. basically doing the wave every moment. <laughs> Um, but it's like I I don't I don't actually know their outlook on negative uh, crit- on criticism. I imagine they don't care. But like if I'm sh- if they were sitting there writing it, thinking, but I don't want to piss anyone off, it would be so different. Yes, and they never would have made that work. Right. Um. Have you ever seen Lena shy away from something because she's worried about the reaction? Um. I've seen us. As a writer's room, shy away from something that we think might be misinterpreted, that it's not worth it to try to walk the fine line of something if it's going to appear 
racist or something like that. Like there are chances we don't take, you know, when it's a story when maybe that isn't the intention, but it feels like it's not clean enough that we definitely walk away from that. I mean, the first, you know, the original first episode, or maybe it was the second, but, um, you know, was the abortion. And I think that was supposed to be the first episode. And, and this was before we had any reaction from anyone, but Judd was like, don't lead with it. Like, you don't know these characters. You can do any story you want once you know the characters, but do you, you're not going to, I believe he said it's like having Kramer hold up a puppy and shoot it in the head in the first episode <laughs> oh or something my God. like that. It was horrible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was right. Like, that wasn't the first episode to do. And, and we still got to tell our stories and, you know, do all the things we wanted to do. But it's like it's about timing and, uh, you know, strategy, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, awkward segue Hmm. that's actually not a segue at all just a change of topic you guys (laughs) if you're gonna buy something on amazon which you are because they have everything click through the banner on my website alisonrosen.com it doesn't cost you anything extra but it helps out the show thank you so much for all your amazon support um if you like what you're hearing subscribe itunes.com slash alisonrosen is where you go to subscribe and um leave us a nice a nice comment please (laughs) or an honest comment i'm just saying nice is my yeah nice is the preference Five stars is the preference that helps the show as well. And also I'm on Patreon. Patreon is sort of like Kickstarter. You can support artists, podcasters on an ongoing monthly basis. And there's different reward levels. So you can get extra uh, bonus episodes every month. There's a live video, interactive video stream you can get access to. Um, There's a level where you get merchandise in the mail, all sorts of fun stuff. So check that out at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Allison Rosen. Let's do just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay, this is where people write in with things they think or things they do and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? So we weigh in on whether we also do these things. Lee Bruns says, every movie or TV car chase, I watch the skid marks in the corners to see how many times they had to reshoot the scene. I've never done that. I've never done that in my life, but I could see how having, see if you saw my cousin Vinny, it might have like prompted that obsession because there's a big... The whole thing twi- turns on on skid marks. On skid marks, <laughs> as so many things do. <laughs> Jmos for Aros says, "Carry my keys everywhere, even on vacation. Can't stand it if my pockets don't weigh the right amount." I always have before leaving to go out of town. I always have a debate with myself about whether. Like, what level of keys should I be bringing? Do I need my car keys? I'm right. certainly not driving my car when my car's not with me. I mean, I my keys are just on all my keys, so I just bring them all because I have to lock the door. But I certainly don't, like, I leave them somewhere. Like, my leave my, you know, like, I don't carry them around. I don't need that weight in my pocket. That's just you. Mm-hmm. I, um... If I'm going out with my husband, because I have my car keys separate from my house keys. So if my husband and I are going out and he's driving because all his keys are on one, then I always think, should I bring my house keys? I don't know. You never know. What if you get into a huge blowout fight and That's have to right. storm home? That's right. Um, actually, usually I end up Or bringing, you going to labor. Honestly, the reason I bring them is like, because what if we end up going to CVS and my CVS card is on this keychain? Oh, really? <laughs> and he doesn't have one. Always so. prepared for CVS. <laughs> 
<laughs> I spend so much time at CVS. Um, okay. Pattern Rec says, just mirror everyone. Standing in a long line, I get super angry at the person in front of me if the line moves and they don't. I get super angry at the person behind me if they're like a human tailgate. So maybe I'm the person you're annoyed with. I agree with who? Uh, pattern wreck. Pattern you agree with wreck. him? Yes, I I do. And it's the same in traffic. Like, move up. We need to feel like we're accomplishing something. Yeah. I guess you, what you don't want is for the person in front of you to be leaving so much room that another person could, like, get in there. Exactly. Especially in traffic. Yeah. Well, yeah. And usually in traffic, it means they're on the phone. What kind of driver are you? Um, an old lady driver. I drive very slowly and very cautious. I mean, I'm not scared to drive, but I literally follow all the rules I learned from driver's ed when I was 16. <laughs> like I keep, you know, for every 10 miles I'm going, I keep that distance on the highway from other cars. Mm-hmm. Like I truly do. I signal when no one's there. I stop at every single stop sign. <laughs> I live on like a cul-de-sac and I stop on the stop sign on the way to there. Um I don't know why. Like, that's my best behavior. (laughs) Have you always been that way, even in your wild years? Even in my wild years, yes. Like, I never drove drunk. I never, like, for some reason, driver's ad really, really got to me. (laughs) That's good. You have respect for the road. (laughs) Dennis Allen Cox, too, says, just mirror everyone. Don't know how the rear view mirror mechanical dimmer works at all. Yeah, I don't either. I don't even know what that is. Um... Jeff I literally don't guy, even know what that is. Know. Well, the mechanical dimmer is, I think, it's that little thing you like flip and then your mirror goes up. So if someone's oh, yeah, brights yeah. are in your right, eyes. Right, right. Yeah. How does it work, Jeff? I actually don't know. What? I assume that the, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. And now my car has an, just an automatic one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that I, I haven't, I don't I haven't that flipped that thing in years. Yeah. That's got to be an LCD something or other, I would guess. But the mechanical one, I don't know. All right. Like, I wouldn't have even called it mechanical. I would have called it electronic. That's how wrong I am about this <laughs> information. But and I don't know anything about cars. I know... The bare minimum. In my defense, I think this is more of an optics question than a mechanics it really is. question. Is, but we need a mirrorologist. And I guess I don't know anything about optics. <laughs> uh, Jamos for Aros says, after drinking a ton of water, usually have to pee again by the time I'm leaving the bathroom. So let, let me understand. No, I this. have a fantastic bladder. You do. I can I can drive to Big Sur. Wow. Yeah. I'm really proud of it. And I drink a lot of beverages. I and I have a-, a friend, Goldie Goldberg, who literally is the complete opposite. And we would have had, just while we were driving to Big Sur, we were like, we would have had to stop every 20 minutes. And she's a production executive and goes on location scouts and almost pees her pants all the time because she's not in control of when she can stop. I'm I'm more of a Goldie Goldberg. And it's not just pregnancy, although pregnancy has exacerbated it. Did you do any sort of training of your bladder? No. Just, it just comes naturally. To I you. just have always been like that. Like, how many times do you go a day? Mm, I mean, obviously, it depends on the water, but like, I've just never, I'm never the person who like has to pee. You know, there's always like the person yeah, who has to pee me. and you have to like stop or like, hold on, I'm just going to go pee or whatever. It's never me. Ever. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I want to be that person. <laughs> but like, I, are you, okay, you're going to leave your house to go somewhere. You had coffee, let's say, or you had whatever. Like, I peed today when I got here at three, and that was the first time I peed today. And I've had coffee and probably two waters. 
Do you ever use public restrooms? I don't love a public restroom, but that is not why I don't do it. I just, just I just use to. I use my incredible skill to avoid a public restroom, but it's not from the fear of public restrooms. It's like a superpower. It is a superpower, <laughs> and I feel great about it. I also am a f- um, facial super recognizer. Really? Mm-hmm. So you're the person. Like I took a test for Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> for real. What was the test? It was. It's like an online test. It was like part of a study about they were doing it. The original study was done because of um, facial blindness and and what is facial blind? Is that a where like you when an you can't no like you can't identify people's faces? Okay, um, and and so they were doing that, and then they realized there were some people who like could identify everyone's face. And during the time when I was getting divorced and broke up with my writing partner, I would read like every single thing in the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> and one of I read this study and it, there was a woman named Jennifer who was my age who was like I see people on the subway and I'm like I went to third grade with you and I'm like that's my whole life and she said like I always get offended because people don't remember me because I and then she realized it was because she remembered everyone and that like I was like that's me I'm like how can you not I know you <laughs> and then how did you get involved in this study though uh, because I literally read that article and like went online and pursued the guy who was doing the study because I was really um, desperate and bored. He was, he was lovely. You can probably take that test still. I know, it's like I want a bunch to. of um, white guys in turtlenecks that are somewhat famous. You have to no, not them at or? all. Oh. It's, oh, there are famous people in it, but it's more just like, have you seen that guy? Have you seen that? Like they oh, show you pictures. I see. Now I'm trying to figure out where I would rank on the uh, facial recognition. I feel like maybe I'm like average. But I have a weird thing where I feel like if normally I wear makeup and then I go out without makeup, like, oh, no one will know who I am. Or like... Are you right, though? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Or like, I'm incognito today because my hair is curly. Well, I've had straight hair now for a long time, but my hair is naturally curly. So back before I had actually gotten it straightened right. when some days I would blow it out or some days I would wear it curly I would feel like no one is gonna know it's like no they know exactly who you are but I mean I feel like I see people I know so well and they don't recognize me all the time like I feel like I'm one of those people who could just even though I like kind of have dark skin and like I don't look like generic or something whatever that means but like I I could be standing like two feet away from someone I've met three times and I still have to be like, Jenny Connor, we met at the thing. (laughs) So I am a combination of I recognize everyone and no one recognizes me. Right. So now I just don't talk to people. (laughs) Um, Okay. Sooner Magic says, just mirror everyone, crave certain snacks once a year, i.e. Twinkies. And once I get it, I remember why I rarely eat it and I'm good for another year. That's just him. I don't have that one specifically, but there are certain foods that I don't like, and periodically I'll try them again just to, to like, try to like them. Yeah, because yeah. it's like everyone loves grape nuts. Right. Grape nuts are universally beloved. I think they're like Still? gravel. Well, maybe not. This is not yeah, probably right, not right. anymore. I think they've probably been replaced by something. But in general, whenever I revisit, I'm like, yeah, I still don't like this. Right. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't eat junk food. I mean, not to be like, I don't eat junk food. I just, I eat a lot of food and probably too much of healthy foods, but I'm not into sweets. How do you feel about grape nuts? Um, I used to like them a lot, but I I don't eat cereal. Yeah. Like, I I don't eat breakfast anymore. I'm too old. (laughs) Um, 
Wendy says, whenever I sniffle in a public bathroom, I assume anyone outside my stall thinks I'm hiding to cry. Whoa, Wendy. That's so (laughs) dark. I definitely think you're, I hope you're alone in that. I mean, I don't, although I don't want you to feel alone, I almost want to lie to you, Wendy, and say, yes, everyone feels that way, because what a terrible way to feel. I've been, first of all, the first thing I thought was cocaine. Oh, yes. Right, that like, that's that more what you're likely. Famously, famously sniffing in a if bathroom, you're sniffling stall? in a bathroom, yeah. So that, but also, I mean, I guess I just maybe when Wendy gets older, she'll care less what other people, yeah, think she's doing in the bathroom. It's weird. I so my husband and I have taken these pregnancy classes um, at Cedars. Yeah, we took a couple at Cedar. We took a birthing class and then a CPR class at Cedars. And then we took a breastfeeding and baby care class at this other place because the Cedars classes were all full. But in every single class, they show a film strip from like an unidentifiable time in an unidentifiable location. I suspect it's Canada. Because it's like like here, but not exactly. Right. Um, And there's always a baby being born. And the second that happens, I start crying. It's strictly hormonal. And I assume everyone else in the room, all the women must, all the other super pregnant women must also be crying. I don't know. But what's weird is I feel this urge to completely like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't make any noise. Like I feel so self-conscious even though I, yeah, even though it, I figure of all places, this is probably where all the crying women are. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird how, uncomfortable I, i'm so I don't know pro what crying i, I am think, in general yeah i think but like people are always trying to stop themselves from crying and i'm yeah. like just let go it'll be over so much faster i think it's the in public aspect of it i guess right. i don't know like if it's a movie and everyone's crying then i'm fine with just except you just described a movie where everyone was crying <sighs> No, that was a film strip. Oh, sorry, film strip. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Well, here's actually, maybe this is the difference. I have to assume the other women in the class were crying. I didn't actually see any evidence of it. Because it was too dark? Because I didn't hear anything. Was anyone sniffling? It's quite possible. I, it, it is quite, there's a bunch of hardened, cold, pregnant women who have no attachment to babies, I guess, because I think maybe I was the only one crying. Maybe they were just crying like on the way there because they didn't get the snack they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, the Cedars snacks. It's uh they say refreshments offered, but then you get there and it's Luna bars and popcorn or chips or something and water. It's um, okay, but it's not that great. Which- the day after you have the baby cuz once you're in labor you obviously can't eat. Um and then and then after you have the baby at Cedars request the special juice cocktail. Okay. And they take like every box juice they have that are full of sugar and delicious and put them in with crushed ice in like a huge tumbler. Tumbler. And it is the most delicious thing you'll ever drink in your life. Is this like ordering animal? Do you, oh, do you yes. Even, it's, like it's like animal, animal style. I'm going yes. off menu. Yes. Special Total juice cocktail. off menu at Cedars. Yeah. Yes. I, I wouldn't have even known. Every time like I had to bring my daughter to the ER and I walked in and I was like, I wonder if I could get a juice cocktail. And I don't even like... I don't know what it was just it was like it's such a reward at that point (laughs) all right special juice cocktail I will get that if this baby ever comes out of me (laughs) and lastly JMO's for a rose says walking into an almost pitch black room JMO's for arrows says a lot yeah (laughs) star of this particular segment Um, walking in in an almost pitch black room close my eyes and feel my way rather than strain to see almost nothing I do both because I've had too many 
things happen in the middle of the night where I thought I was fine. And then all of a sudden I like kick a chair and it's very painful or all of a sudden I trip over something or somehow almost injure myself. So now if I'm walking in a darkened room, this is particularly in the so middle of the night. So he's saying like, if you do put your hands out in front of you. And yeah. Feel that's what way? I do now. Yeah, well, actually I just put my hands out, not to feel my way, but just to make sure there's nothing I'm about to. Yeah, of course. I think it's crazy to do it the other way. Yeah. Like, why would you not try to be safer? Well, if you're in your own house, you'd think you would know. But like, uh, yeah, I guess I don't. I also have like the worst night vision really? on the planet. Yeah. Like it really is bad. So I, I walk like that, like just at night down the street. <laughs> Jeff? I've actually tried to do this recently twice with very terrible results. What I, happened? I walked into crap. I just, I was going, actually, I did this literally last night. I turned off one set of lights and I have an old timey lamp that has a foot switch on it. And so I turned off the lights and was walking three and a half feet to get to the <laughs> lamp and knocked it over. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one was there was a blackout in my neighborhood and I decided I would try to get through my building and it was pitch black inside. I would walk down the hall of my building to get to my place in the pitch black and I walked into a wall. But do you think that was like you were trying to look cool? No, I just thought I could pull like it off. it was like a public that you just thought you could pull yeah. it See, I also have the worst sense of direction in the world. <laughs> Me too. No, it's not as bad as mine. I'm pretty sure it is. Everyone says that. And I have then trouble I with like, left and right. Yeah, but I have trouble. Like, do you, If you're in a mall, do you walk out of the store and walk back the way you came? I don't know which way I came. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm always wrong. But... Uh, I swear, so many people have been like, I have such a bad sense of direction. And then they're like, me too. And then they get in my car and they're like, oh my God. But so I have a bad sense of direction and bad night vision. And I can't tell where sound comes from. Like, like I, if the phone is ringing, I literally can't mm. tell where it's coming from. And I don't know what that is. But maybe this is why your facial recognition sense is so, so good. good. Well, that's what Ben thinks it's all related. Like, he thinks my bad sense of direction also is related to the fact that I can't tell you where can't sound comes from. In and space, yeah. yeah, which is like fine if I can't find my phone. It's really the, um, like when a siren is coming and I'm an overly cautious driver, I will like put on the brakes and panic because I just don't know where it's coming from. And like it could be so far away from me and then I see it and I'm like, I definitely thought it was behind me. <laughs> I have no idea. So what do you do to combat the lack of direction? Because it's a it's a whole thing in my life um, that Waze has helped me with quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, Waze changed my life. Um, I used to, first of all, remember I told you I was a runner on the Emmys, a PA, and Oh, God, that would be a nightmare for me. It was a nightmare, and it was the Thomas Guide. It was the days <laughs> yeah. of the Thomas Guide. So it was like, I mean, I literally hadn't, and I had grown up on the West Side, so it was like the valley. I didn't, I mean, but I But are you no good at reading maps? Because I find those difficult. I mean, the Thomas Guide, I got good at reading. But still, I have no, like, I have no perception. You know, like, there's so many. My son, my 10-year-old son has a better sense of direction than me. And I often put on ways to get home from places I've been a million times because like I forget if I turn right or left in one place and I lie to my children and they're like you're just going home and I'm like I'm just doing it for traffic but really I'm just <laughs> doing it because like there's this weird crazy turn in yeah. off Mulholland that like I just forget where I'm going see I live life I, well I don't live life turn <laughs> by turn but when I'm driving it's pretty much going this way and then this way and then this way and then this way and people who have a good sense of direction have like a 
a bird's eye view of the way they went in their head. And I never have that. I'm oh my God. It. I never have that. And, and it's like the same way people can listen to sports and visualize them or something like that. Like, I think it's like this visual sense. Like I often yes, want an have- app. Like I've always wanted to like be able to look uh, like wish a satellite was tracking me so that I could see how far out of the way I was driving everywhere I was going <laughs> because I just memorize routes places yeah. so that if there's like a two block correction, I will never make it because that will screw me for life. I'll be gone. You'll never see me again. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think I m- must not really be a visual thinker or learner either. Yeah. For example, tell me if you relate to this. Um, my husband and I are sort of semi house shopping, but like not really. Because um, why not move the minute you have a baby? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good strategy. Well, I know. Everyone but- does it. I was in, I was in Park La Brea because we were doing work on our house when I had my first child. That's why I say we're semi sort of because right. the idea of actually moving. It, with the baby seems very daunting. And plus I like this apartment. It's just the idea that like with a kid, it would be nice to have a yard. And it would be nice right. to not have stairs. But none and- of that matters for a year. Okay, good. That's how <laughs> that, long it'll that take baby us. Is a blob. <laughs> um see that's what I want to hear because these classes really tell you that you should be childproofing everything before the baby comes. And it's like, but the baby can't move. They also I mean, for not everyone should do this and I'm not trying to get or suggest that people don't do it. But boy, did I forget everything I learned in that CPR class by the time I had a baby who could ingest anything, Mm. like that I had a baby who could choke because they can't choke on breast milk. So it's like literally, I I mean, one of my kids choke now. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Quickly look up a YouTube tutorial. I mean, they just it's like they everyone make you a copy of the handout. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But like everyone acts as if you. And there's this feeling like I have to get everything done before I have the child. And there's no end to what you could get done. Mm-hmm. Like everything done is just everything. It's everything. Yeah. Um, so you, they sort of, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Okay, good. Thank you. So anyway, I've been looking on different real. Yes. Allison's not the worrying type. So. <laughs> no, I'm just super, not super cash. Yeah. Not a, I definitely don't have anxiety about that. Um, Looking at different real estate websites and... I love looking at real estate websites. The MLS is like my favorite (laughs) porn site. And I was looking at these houses that were cheaper than other houses in the neighborhood and like where you're like, oh, this is too good to be true. And then you start clicking through the photos and it's like, oh, that's why. Because it's a kitchen that hasn't been updated in forever. And like, look at that gross wood paneling and this and all, you know, there's all these, like it's cosmetically not an attractive house. But I was thinking... All it would take is a little imagination and you could see how great this house is. Too bad I don't have that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. I'm like those people, I have friends who are like this, who just walk into a room and they're like, your couch should be here. And I'm like, how do you know? And they're so right. Yeah. And they're usually like your bossiest friends who mm-hmm. are like, I can't believe I'm letting you tell me where to put my couch. And then you do. And you're like, my life is so much better. I just won an Academy Award because of where my couch is. <laughs> Yeah, I'm such a sucker for staging and for like all that stuff that is so, it's just, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's optics actually. (laughs) Like we were saying before. You know, I mean, I, the way I employ people just in, on my show or whatever, you know, I'm a big believer in 
find people who are really good at their job and then trust them to do it. Mm -hmm. Like the shows that are run horribly or the shows where people are really, really controlling and they don't trust people to do their job. So I'm like, that's another thing you can farm out, you know, like find the person who's great at that, who isn't great at making podcasts (laughs) and you can make the podcast and they can tell you where to put your couch. But see, I would think not being a, a visual person, which is not exactly what you're saying, but like in your job, don't you have to have this sense of like, I want it to look this way? Well, I will say like I discovered, I I think I'm more visual than I thought I was when I started directing because all of a sudden I was like having visual ideas, mm-hmm. uh, which is, was where I used to write some shots into things and wardrobe, but you know, when you're thinking about everything, but I'm not even a person like a lot of directors I know are editing in their head when they're shooting. And I don't have that skill set. Like I can't do it. I just have to really, really, really do my homework and really make a good plan and also have a great DP and, you know, have a best friend and co-show runner who knows how to do that. And I get a lot of help from a lot of people. I live with a great director, you know? So it's like, uh, but I, but I did anyway. I only bring that up because I, I did like surprise myself a little bit with, oh, like I'm not completely non-visual, mm-hmm. you know. Like I, I do have opinions about the way things should be framed, and I do, you know, like if you challenge yourself and force yourself to do it. I, I'm sort of of the school, and I feel this way about fashion too. Like, um, I, I. You know, I may not be able to have the language to describe it, but I sure will know it when I see it. Well, that is me a thousand percent. Not with fashion, but <laughs> I mean, it could be, but it's not where I put my time. Um, but I get very frustrated because oftentimes, just like something as simple as designing a website right. or a logo right. or something like that, like or this came up a thousand this times. Where you do your square, Squarespace commercial? <laughs> <laughs> if I had one, it would be a great place to do it. Or it came up a thousand times when trying to plan my wedding. Um, like I have trouble communicating exactly what I want because maybe I don't know exactly what I want. Yeah. But it, then if someone gives me a bunch of options, I might know that they're all not quite right. Yeah, or you might be able to say kind of like that, but this. Yes, but I get frustrated with that, though, because I feel like I'm supposed to be able to just know ahead of time, and instead it really is a like, I need to see it. That's why there's like a billion-dollar wedding planning industry, because people actually don't know what they want. You're not yeah. alone. <laughs> well, Jenny Connor, it was so great to finally meet you, you and to have you on the I'm show. I'm never leaving. I'm so Don't ever leave. Well, you said off air that your goal was to, to get me to go into labor. Yeah, and I'm not in labor yet, so yeah, we're so we not done. Talking. <laughs> I haven't gotten you the rolls from Coyote yet. Do you know about those? No, I know about some salad dressing from Studio City. That's but- it. Yeah. It's, it's oh yeah. They okay, yes, it's the salad dressing from Coyote, but the thing I remember, of course, is the rolls because they <laughs> tasted delicious, unlike the salad dressing. Yes. The fun thing about doing that, which did not send me into labor, um, was the that there's a book and people all like write their stories and they're like, I had the salad dressing and I went into labor one day later. And Hmm. I mean, but it's not good. No, it's fine. It's a vinaigrette. <laughs> I, but it's like, I, you know, I remember everywhere by food. So I'm like, Oh, right. Garlic rolls. But that wasn't the thing that put me into the labor. rolls sound better. But did anything specifically put you into labor? Do you think? Or I mean, just... I think my baby being ready to come out. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the best, yeah. the best way to go but into in labor. Last days, like they're so um, little 
control you're just it's just all trying to have control over something you can't have control over yeah and it's a good lesson because it just gets worse with parenting oh boy (laughs) (laughs) follow me on twitter at allison rosen follow the show's twitter feed at ariynbf jeff where should we go for you you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And I found the answer to the rearview mirror question. You did? Oh, are we tell interested? Us. Yes, yes, we are. So the mirror, the rearview mirror, there's a, a pane of glass on the front of it. The back of it is where the mirror is. And that they're not parallel to each oh. other. They're at an angle. Ah. So when you're when you're seeing through the mirror in daylight, the the the, the outside pane of the glass is actually not mirroring you not mirroring you <laughs> right. so you're you're looking at it you're looking at the mirror when it's tilted and it, the glass the... if you look if you were able to see just what the glass was looking at you would see the roof of your car so when you flip the thing to go to night vision you're not looking into the mirror at all it boop, pushes that out of the way and you're just seeing the reflection f- through plain glass so think about oh, when you're walking yeah. down the street uh. at night and you look in a window where it's dark inside, you can't really see anything. But if headlights were coming behind you, you would see that. It's like your so the one way it's mirror, mirror has night vision, and the other way is night. glass. That's incredible. Now we know. I got. This I is like, I got I'm, like seventy eight percent of that. This is the most I've ever learned at a podcast. Thank you, mm-hmm. uh, Jenny. Tell them where to go to find you and what they should look out for and all that. Um, you can go, I'm on Twitter as JennyConnor.com uh, or whatever. No, at Jenny, at Jenny Connor. Connor. J-E-N-N-I. I'm also on Instagram, the same J-E-N-N-I. Jenny with an I, Connor with a K. Um, and that's something I've been saying since I was like, well, 12 and changed my name to Jenny with an I. Um, what was it before? Jenny with a Y. Okay. But how lame is that? You can't <laughs> even put a heart over your... <laughs> letter <laughs> um and then and i'm the same on instagram and we go to lennyletter.com and subscribe please to our newsletter i think especially now post-election it's very very important and it's an escape but it's also got action items and it um you know also has like j-law talking about wage equality so it's got a lot of cool it's got recipes fun stuff yeah and good recipes yeah and um fun illustrations and um i guess just like keep your eyes peeled for stuff on hbo that we don't know exactly what it is yet but we do know girls and the, oh my god season is coming course. back yes and that's february, february 12th okay i think it's the 12th but yes the final season of girls if you miss this there's no other way you can ever see it again (laughs) each episode airs once at a set time explodes and then it goes away i was um so late to realizing that lenny is lena and jenny i you're not alone okay alone not alone (laughs) just me everyone not literally everyone when we tell people i see their eyes light up like <laughs> all right why didn't, I, why didn't i think of that i know and i just met someone yesterday who was like i love lena letter and i was like almost <laughs> you're so close <laughs> you gotta add the jenny with an i <laughs> except we did it with a y because i'm over the hearts <laughs> um thank you again thank this you. was this so was much so fun. fun listeners thank you for listening i love you goodbye hey do you know about the Alison Rosen show.